So Nehemiah 4, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 15. As always, if you guys don't have your Bible with you, we encourage you to grab a Bible from beneath the chair. And we're going to have the passages up on the screen for you guys to follow along. And it starts off like this. Verse 1. Now when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. My first point to you guys is this. Opposition will come from the outside. There will be opposition from the outside. Right off the bat, you have these two bullies, Sembalad and Tobiah. And they're building the wall. Nehemiah and his people, they're building the wall and they start making fun of them. What are you all doing? You feeble Jews trying to discourage them. You think you can build a wall? And then Tobiah, and I picture Tobiah, a little short guy. You know how there's always a big bully and a little one? You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, you think you can build a wall? He says, even a fox goes up there. It won't be strong enough. And it'll come, crumble, tear to pieces. Opposition will come externally, will come from the outside. People are going to try to discourage you from doing God's will. I'm reminded this past semester for Reengage, which is a, a marriage ministry that we hold here at, at Grace Bible Church, there was this couple in one of the small groups who, who was going through some real difficulties. So much so that they had to separate in the middle of the semester. The guy went off on his own. And then God transformed his heart and he realized this is not right. So he came back and started making things God's way. Try to do God's will. God's way. And I sat with him at Starbucks and he was telling me his journey. And he says, first of all, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that was a change. And now I want to do God's will, God's things, but I'm getting so much opposition. I'm at work and my buddies make fun of me because I'm trying to read devotionals. Or my buddies tell me, what are you doing with your wife? Stay away, man. Go have drinks with us. And he's saying it's hard, but I'm sticking to it. Opposition is going to come. Anytime you try to do the right thing at work, your coworkers are going to criticize you. Your family, opposition will always come. I'm reminded of how I was speaking to some of the founders here at Grace Bible Church. And when they told their family they want to start a Christian church, the small group, the eight families that gathered, their family started opposing them and saying, what are you doing? You're betraying us. You're betraying your religion. One of the gentlemen told me that they literally would get phone calls, threats. Some of the families were businessmen. And people would call and say, if you want to do business with me, you better not open up that church. Opposition was coming from everywhere. But yet they stayed faithful. And I'm so glad they stayed faithful. Because look at where we're at now. It was hard. Myself, coming to Grace Bible Church, I'll never forget... My biggest opposition was my wife. 
When someone invited us to Grace, we showed up and we were freaking out like some of you are uh, if this is your first time coming back from a Catholic church. This music was like, what's up? We never had a bass player up here doing this. <laughs> All these people raising up their hands and we sat in that little corner over there, just us. And I thought to myself, and I've shared this before, what did I do? But when then we heard the message and we came out of here, my wife and I looked at her. She says, wow, we learned a lot. We did. And it was good. I had, been, I had already trust my, put my trust in Jesus Christ and God was making a change in me. I was reading my Bible and I loved it. And my wife said the next Sunday, now let's go to my church. Really? I thought you liked it. No. You know, I, I, I really want to stay to my background where I was raised. So one Sunday we go to mama's church, one Sunday we go to daddy's church. And it was back and forth and back and forth. And I remember after probably three months, I told my wife, enough. I was growing and growing in God's word and I was just telling her I can't anymore. And our biggest argument that I can remember was that Sunday morning. And I told her, look what we're arguing about. Where to go to church, where to hear God's word. My wife was my biggest opposition. Some of you here have that. I know it. I hear it all the time. My husband doesn't want to come to church. My wife doesn't want to come to church. My family tells me that I'm betraying them. Opposition will come when you're doing God's will, when you're trying to grow in him, with him. But I love the way Nehemiah responds. If you look... In verse 4, he says this, he says, Nehemiah speaking, he starts to pray and he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. He says, turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the lands where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you, I love that, to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. My second point to you guys is this. Opposition should be handled through prayer. Opposition should be handled through prayer. So Nehemiah and his people started getting discouraged and, and mocked and ridiculed and made fun of. And Nehemiah doesn't say a word. He doesn't answer back. What does he do? He prays and he says, here, oh God, handle this for me. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. And I love what he says, they provoke you. They're mocking you. They're insulting you. They're trying to discourage you. And he prays. And continues to pray. That's how he fights opposition. That's how the founders of this church did. When they would get threats. When they would get this external opposition, they would just pray and persist and keep on going. When CJ and I uh, were at our worst when it came to what church to go to, I came to Chad because what I was doing is I was rebuking her. I was saying, what you look, look what God's word says. How can I go and listen to uh, this guy who, first of all, there's no Bibles in the pews. And I'm listening to this guy tells me I want to learn myself. And the more I learned, the more I disagreed, not with everything, but little things. So I was just hitting her and hitting her with these things. I was lashing back at my wife. So one day I came to Chad and I said, Chad, it's not working. What can I do? And Chad said, pray. And I prayed. And she's here now. 
and we're together. And now we're so united and our marriage is just, it's not where it should be, but it's a lot better. When we get opposition, we need to pray. But we almost always, always need to remember this. That the opposition in my case wasn't my wife. That the opposition in the case of the founding fathers weren't these businessmen that were threatening them not to do it or else they won't have any business with them. The opposition is not your family. The true opposition is the enemy. He will try everything in his power to derail it. And the more you commit, the more you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do your will, God. The more he's going to start throwing arrows at you. The more he's going to try and discourage you. The more he's going to try and mock you. And you just pray. You pray offensive prayers just like Nehemiah did. Turn back on their head. This opposition. I love what, what Paul says in Ephesians 6 Verse 12, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul knew, Paul's telling us, it is not against flesh and blood, it is against the enemy. But he conquered, and he conquers all. So we must pray, we, we need to make Prayer, our first priority, not our last resort. In everything we do, we need to go to him and ask him for help during these distractions, during these oppositions, during this discouragement. Church, we're going to launch off and build a new building. Believe me, we're going to get opposition. Both from the outside and from the inside. Just as Nehemiah did. But the neat thing, before I go on, the neat thing that after all this, after all the mocking and after Nehemiah turns to God and starts praying, look what he says. They finish up to half the wall. It turned on them. What they believed when, when Sambal and Tobiah said, oh, you know what, we're discouraged, we want kind of thing. And after they prayed, look what they did. They rallied even more and they, they finished half the wall. But then the opposition continues. In verse 7. He goes on and says, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And again, he says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a, as a protection against them day and night. Now you see that they got opposition all around from the north, the Ammonites, from the south, the east, the west, everywhere. All around their opposition as they got closer and closer to finishing the wall. As they got closer and closer to finishing God's will, opposition got stronger and stronger. But they kept on praying. Verse 10 it says, in Judea it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And then our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, ten times you must return to us. My third point is opposition will come from the inside. Opposition will come from the inside. So opposition will come from the outside. 
try to discourage, mock, whatever they can do. Any opposition is always from the enemy. When you're trying to do God's will, when you're trying to do the right thing, the enemy will try to derail you. We must keep on praying, but also we'll have opposition from the inside, internal opposition. Look what it says. The Jews were starting to be discouraged, started questioning themselves. Is there, is there too much rubble? Is this over our heads? They started fearing and started believing that they were going to be killed. They started to doubt themselves. They tried, the enemy tried to disunify them. Like I mentioned earlier, some of you last week were probably uh, committed to serve in some way and something came up. I guarantee it. Some of you want to give financially and you're going to start. You're going to sit down, make your budget and say, you know what, I'm going to put 10% aside. I'm going to start with that and see what happens. And then you're going to realize, oh, no, I can't. There's no way. You're going to start doubting yourself from the inside. The enemy is going to start putting all these fears in you. It will happen. But God is just saying, look, trust me. Do not fear. Have faith in me. As we sung this morning, I am with you. Who dare be against you? And God is asking him again just to trust and let go. Hebrews 11.6 says this. And without faith, trust, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. When you feel these doubts inside of you that the opposition is trying to put in your, in your mind, think of it this way. Think that God is telling you to trust him. The more attacks you get, the more you want to trust God. The more you want to be committed, the more attacks you get, the more you want to trust God. He's saying, trust me with your finances. Trust me with your times. Don't be discouraged. Don't believe the lies that you hear from the outside. Spend your money. You need this. You need that. You don't have time to serve. Do not be fooled with these lies. But then again, look how Nehemiah responds. In verse 13, he says this. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. I love this rally speech. Who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that this, is, this was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So when the people started getting discouraged and started getting doubts in their head, he goes, hey, 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 time out. Remember who's behind us. Remember who's in front of us. We've got God on our side. And God frustrated them. Not Nehemiah, not the people. God frustrated the opposition. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God frustrated their plans. It's not about us. It's all about him. See how God 
will fight for your battles when you're trying to do God's will, when you're trying to do God's way. And we need to rally together. Whenever discouragement comes our way, whenever doubts happen, whenever opposition comes, pray and let God fight your battles. We turn to chapter 6 now. Because the, the opposition continues. Nehemiah 6 verses 1 through 4. This is now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. So the wall is, is done. It's literally almost finished. It just needs the doors and the gates. Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together. Hakephirim, in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. Nehemiah knew what they were up to. And it says, keep on going, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times, it says, in this way. And I answered them in the same manner every time. So, my final point to you guys is this. Opposition will come through distractions. Oppositions will come through distractions. Here comes the, um, Sam Ballard again. And he's saying, hey, Nehemiah, come on, man. Let's, let's talk about it. He knows that the wall's almost done. This is his last attempt to try to distract Nehemiah. Nehemiah responds, why should I come off the wall when I'm doing a good work? Guys, I think this is probably one of the most oppositions we get and we will get are distractions. Some of you guys are probably distracted now thinking, oh, man, what am I going to have for lunch? When is this going to be over? It's going to happen, distractions. Like I said, you're going to want to serve. Something's going to come up. You're going to be distracted. So ask yourself, what is distracting me? What is more important to me? What is so important that I need to get off the wall to do God's work? Why don't you come to corporate worship every Sunday? I know sometimes it's hard. But what is a priority? Is Sunday being at church a priority to you? Or is there some distraction? Kids sports event. Something. You fill in the blanks. Is financially giving a priority to you or is there some distraction? I'd rather spend my money elsewhere. What are you being distracted with your time? What is so important, if you think about it, what is so important than to come and to, to serve God who's given everything to us? Think about it. Because when a church comes together, when a church gives even half its time, when a church gives even half financially, great things come. Imagine when they give it, give a church gives it 100% of their time. Who want, a church that says, I want to serve, and there's lines and lines of people wanting to do coffee. And there's lines and lines of people who want to usher and greet. And we don't have to shut down the children's ministry because people are lining up saying, I want to serve. Man, I've seen good things happen from this church. I've seen great things. Again, re-engage. 
people volunteering as leaders, so many marriages have been restored through re-engage. I've heard time and time again that through the small groups, people have come to trust Christ. People have told me that through the small groups, they have relationships that are so awesome. Friendships. I've heard time and time again when people start giving as I did, biblically and faithfully, that their lives are transformed. I've heard time and time again that people have trusted Christ and they want to be baptized. Two weeks ago, I sat down with this gentleman who told me that his life story. When I sit down with people that have questions about their faith, they come to me and I sit with them and I love doing that. And I ask them, so tell me a little bit your, your point, your life, where, where you're up to this point. And he told me that he had a, a good childhood. His dad was a Christian. He'd go to church once in a while, so he knew about God. But there was a point where he turned to alcohol as, a, as an adult. He started drinking and became an alcoholic. He, he was married, and then his alcoholism got so bad that his family left him with two kids. But he kept on drinking and turning to the bottle for security. His faith was in alcohol nowhere else. It got so bad that he was on dialysis. And he said, you know what, but it's a blessing in disguise, he tells me. He says, because of this, he says, I quit drinking. But it's too late. I'm so far behind, he said. I'm, I'm such a sinful person. He goes, he was so bad two weeks, two weeks ago, uh, he was telling me, that I was praying. <laughs> I got so desperate, living with my mom, and I was praying, not working. And he, and he said, God, if, there, if there's something you want me to do, give me a sign. Whatever it is, just show me that you're there. And he tells me, because I felt God was so far away. And I stopped him and said, no, no, no. God's always there. It's us that get far away. So as he was praying, a day later, he says, his mom gets a phone call. It's, it was a phone call from a, a guy who comes to Grace Bible Church who is a, a manager at a warehouse. And he tells his, this lady, his mom, says, hey, hey, I'm looking for a forklift driver or a warehouse guy. Do you know anybody? He goes, yeah, my son. But the mom says to the guy from Grace, he says, but he's this. He hasn't worked in this long. He's, he's in dialysis. And this gentleman from Grace says, it doesn't matter. So the mom tells this young man, and he says, hey, I got you a job. And the man told me, he says, this is a sign from God. So I cannot deny it. So he goes to work the next morning. He meets the gentleman from Grace, and he tells him, look, I'm going to be late once in a while because I have dialysis. Uh, sometimes I feel sick. In a loving way, a Grace member says, it's okay. And he's just sitting there with tears in his eyes. He says, I've never felt so loved. I've never felt the love of anybody and the patience and the understanding like this man. And as he worked more and more, he said that he was invited to grace by this gentleman. And he came. He was here for two months, he says. And now I'm here with you because I have questions about my faith. And I've heard about baptism and I want to be baptized. He says, because now I want to change. And I feel that baptism will change me. And I said, no, let me tell you what baptism is. And we talked, and I said, before that, I told him about Christ, and I shared with him the gospel, and we prayed. 
And it was such an awesome morning because right then and there he repented. He realized that his sins are forgiven. And then through prayer, he was praying out loud with me with tears in both of our eyes. He was saying, I'm sorry, I repent, I'm ready, come in. And he accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And he just said, I feel good. And he hugged me and I hugged him. And I said, now do you want to get baptized? He said, yes, when can I get baptized? I said, every fourth Sunday of the month. Church, today he was supposed to get baptized. Last week, I talked to the gentleman who invited him to Grace, and I said, hey, man, do you hear? I talked to this young man, your worker. He's, he's accepted Christ. He wants to be baptized. He says, I know. He passed away. And I was what? He passed away? He goes, yeah, three days after you spoke to him, he had a stroke, and he passed away. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I thought, wow. First I was sad, and I said, wow, God, how amazing are you that you led this man to where he is, that you surrounded him with this awesome person from grace who had the courage to give up his time and say, hey, come, work for me. I am show you, I'm going to show you the love of Christ. And because of that man, he started being curious of who this Jesus was, and he comes and sits in my office and because of the church, I get to share the gospel. And he passes away. It saddens me, but it gives me joy. That he was able to receive Jesus Christ and he is in eternity with him. Church, is there anything better than that? Can we invest our time anywhere else? rather than church, is doing anything else, whatever it is, bringing people to Jesus Christ, is spending money on an iPhone or a new TV or whatever it is, bringing people to Jesus Christ so they can have eternity with him. I can't think of one. Can you? Think about it. Pray about it. Nehemiah, Nehemiah finished the wall. Nehemiah chapter 6.15 says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Eluth, in, the 50, in 52 days. After all opposition, after all distractions, they stayed focused to do God's will. Because when we do God's will and God is behind it, the wall will be built. You put, put God behind you. You put him in your heart and want to do his will. Tough as it may be with oppositions, it will happen. Trust him. Trust God. Pray through any opposition. I want to show you pictures of the wall because when I'm, I'm reading and we're hearing about the wall, I think we have some slides up here. This is not a little wall. It's not a white picket fence. This is not a chain link wall. This is some uh, images of what the wall might have looked like. I mean, this is a wall. But yet everybody rallied together through opposition, through difficulty, through sacrifices. And they finished this wall in 52 days. I think we have another slide up here. 52 days. 
Imagine what we can do, church, if we come together through opposition and we give of our finances and we give of our, our time. Imagine what kind of wall we can build. Nehemiah was a foreshadowing, foreshadowing of a greater Nehemiah to come, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, out of luxury, just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in luxury. He had a good position with a king. He stepped out of luxury to go do God's work. Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven to come and do God's word, God's work. He became man. And we're reading the Gospels that as soon as he started his ministry here on earth, the first thing he did was go to the wilderness, to the desert, and opposition began. The enemy started tempting him. Satan started tempting him any which way he could. Hey, take the easy, easy way out, Jesus. And he said, no, I am sticking to God's word. I am sticking to God's purpose. There is a reason I am here. I am not going to be distracted. Jesus also, like Nehemiah, they received opposition from the inside. If you remember, he's sitting with his, with his, his apostles. And he tells them, I'm going to be crucified. I need to be crucified. And Peter says, no, I am not going to let you be crucified. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was not going to fall into the opposition even from the inside. And as Jesus was mocked and ridiculed and in front of Caesar, Julius, he says, defend yourself. And Jesus stays silent. And as Jesus hung on the cross and they were still mocking him and making fun of him, saying, if you really, the Messiah, come down from your wall, the cross. And Jesus said, I am not. He stayed because he had a purpose. He had a plan. He came so that our sins would be forgiven. We too must be like Nehemiah. And not come down from our wall. No matter what distractions we may get. No matter what opposition we have. We must stay strong. And know that our God is with us. And when we do that, when we unite, great things are going to happen. And I can't wait. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. That your son is such a great example, Father, of, of not being distracted, of not falling into temptation. Father, we are never going to be as strong and faithful as Jesus Christ. And you don't expect us to. Father, just help us to put more faith in you. To trust in you, as difficult as it may seem. Let us fight off any opposition we have. Any discouragement that we may get, even doubting ourselves, Father. Let us feel your presence and know that we can battle through anything. We know that we can build a wall, Father. Your wall. Help us. Help us through this time as we start this campaign. Help us through these oppositions that are going to come. Father, I know it is your will. Let it be ours as well. To be able to plant churches all around Laredo so that people can come to you. So that people can 
receive your son as their Lord and Savior. Father, I can't wait to see your work. Let us be your vessels. We love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in your son's name.